0: hey guys Montel here and thanks so much for tuning into this edition of let's be blunt with Montel you know we talk about the cannabis industry in every way shape and form that we can here and one of the things I want to kind of talk a little bit about today is about innovation and the fact that we're in an industry that has proven itself to be an essential service in majority of the states that have now legalized cannabis. And, you know, though we have done a lot of research and there is still a lot of ongoing research going on right now when it comes to scientifically digging into the plant itself and trying to efficaciously understand some of its properties and, you know, give, you know, more of a medical, I guess, slant towards what, like plant is capable of doing, but, you know, in a lot of ways, this industry has been stagnant, um, in some areas, uh, uh, relying on, you know, techniques, you know, I, we, we have, you know, a, a, you know, um, side of this business that has been around now for 60, 70 years. And of course, some of the people who, and when I say 60 or 70 years in the way it is now, some of the people who have been some of the legacy growers have most of the, uh, I some of the most phenomenal information when it comes to actually growing the plant. However, we've been doing so using techniques in some ways and using equipment in some ways that's 40, 50, 60 years old until now. And, you know, one of the most important things is, You know, in any industry, it's innovation, to keep moving forward, to make sure that we understand that there are things that we can do to make the processes faster, better, more efficient. Learning and innovation go hand in hand. The arrogance of success is to think that what you did yesterday will be sufficient for today. That's a quote from a man by the name of William Pollard. And My guest today is an entrepreneur, an inventor, a U.S. Navy veteran. He's considered a distinguished inventor in the cannabis industry whose drive has earned him a reputation as a pioneer in automation in the emerging agricultural cannabis sector. His vision has led his company, which is called Green Bros, Inc., to become a world leader in automated harvesting solutions. Colin Reichart, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, sir.
1: Thank you, Montel. It's a real pleasure to be here. That's a great intro uh, to the whole uh segment that
0: I, uh, that we uh, specialize in. I know. I, well, as I've said, I thank you for that because, you know, I think it's really important. I was really pleased to, to get an opportunity to talk with you because I know that you are working on innovation, innovation, innovation. And, you know, the innovation that you work on that help us produce the product is going to spark more innovation in other areas of the product. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've been working on, is really very funny. I've been in this business now, really, you know, full nose, hook, line, and sinker since, uh, you know, uh, 2000. And, you know, I I often kick myself because I'll come up with an idea and I go, you know, we got to do this. And then two years later, somebody does it. And part of the problem is that I run my mouth too much because I, especially on this podcast, I'm talking about things all the time. And, you know, I give up a lot of ideas. Um, I have a couple of them that uh, I've been working on. Related to, to actually change the relationship that the consumer has with the product, you know, uh, giving, you know, uh, the ability to have multiple different new kinds of delivery techniques that I think that, you know, I talked about five years ago, they're now coming to fruition today. And, you know, I've come up with a couple of them in the last couple of months, and, you know, I'm, I'm literally, you know, I'm, I'm tired of just talking about them, so I am actually trying to produce some of these now to get them out there and, and make it easier for the consumer and easier for the the uh, you know producer to sure. you know, buy products and provide new innovative ways for consumers to to, uh, to actually consume. So, but before we start talking about that, let's talk a little bit about your background. Now, you were in the military, right?
1: I was. I did. Uh, I'm a Gulf War One veteran. I spent a couple years over there. Um, I actually did five years total um, and then uh, got out and started working corporate America. I had my uh, government clearances, my top secret and stuff like that. So that helped me to kind of get into defense.
0: Uh, you, were in, contracting. You, were in, you were in the Navy, right? So when, yeah, did you when did you enlist in the Navy?
1: I was, I, I'm killing myself here, but I think I got in in an 87 and I got out in 93. So it was great. right. five years.
0: Well, we, we share a little time on active duty together because I was in during that period of time that you came in. Um I saw some of the, the ships that you were on. You were on uh what the Lincoln and uh what else?
1: Carl Vincent.
0: Vincent. Yeah, I was yeah. on the Vincent's I was on the Vincent's sister ship, which is the Kitty Hawk. Yeah. The entire Indian Ocean uh deployment. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, we were the first uh, 180 day plus deployment in the Indian Ocean, you know, since World War II. And um
1: Yeah, so they they make those those big nuclear ships you can stay out there forever
0: absolutely uh, all you got to do is get some food and water That's <laughs> it. well you don't even have to get water because you make your own water.
1: yeah that's right. that's
0: right that's right what was your role what was your job in, in the service uh, i was
1: an av- avionics technician i was uh, working on uh, s3 Viking, so i was a flight deck guy gotcha yeah but i mean
0: so you you spend your time in service and you got out how was the, how did you transition into the cannabis space
1: uh well that you know it was kind of a journey from the navy to actual cannabis but i I went through a couple of different iterations i got into i t and then um uh, was contracting for the uh, for the defense me- messaging uh which is basically email for the government i did uh, the n m c i project and then um was uh just kind of always been an inventor and mechanical and just couldn't really see myself not going down this road on my own. My my whole family is entrepreneurs and small business owners and working for, you know, corporate America was, uh, was great because it was so consistent, but it was also just not really where I wanted to be. So I kind of jumped out on my own with an invention, uh, a dry sift machine. Um, And then that was in like 2011. Yeah. And then uh, just kind of took off from there
0: but now let's back up because your background and this this entrepreneurial spirit really came from you growing up in a family that was a family full of entrepreneurs right your your parents that's correct yeah your parents my
1: my my, so my parents owned a, uh, a printing business so back in the days when they used to actually have printers you know big offset printing instead of um uh what we have now all these copying machines you know these great tools that you have at home back in the days you had to yeah, to actually have that stuff printed by a company, and that's what we did. So we had a, a shop that had a bunch of printing presses, and I learned how to run a printing press and do all the work around the shop. And that's where I started figuring out how to repair stuff. And it was always good at taking stuff apart. So um, that was what my parents were into. Now my brothers have a solar business in Colorado. Uh, one of my brothers has his own realty uh, company. And so there's yeah, it's just kind of what we do. It's just what we're kind of you know, part of what our family has always done.
0: Something that took place in your parents' business is really what kind of inspired you to, to really, you know, really, really grind, of dig deep into the vision of, of you know, inventing. Didn't your parents, like, purchase a machine that didn't work or something? Yeah. They tell you it was a great story.
1: Yeah, it's a, so, I mean, you know, this is the thing that, that drives me about equipment. You know, quality is so important, especially when you're a small company and you make these massive investments. And my parents, uh, you know, figured out, got the money, got got it together and made a, you know, I think it was three quarters of a million dollars for a piece of equipment. And then in the eighties, that's, a, that was a lot. It's a lot now. Yeah, but It was okay. a lot, lot then. And um, you know, the machine delivered from overseas and they had delivered, uh, we, we don't know exactly what happened, but we think that it was at some point in time was set down hard or something, but it never registered. And in registration is the key to four color and printing. I mean, if you can't get two colors to line up, you don't get, full color. So anyway, um, it never registered. And basically the overhead on the machine and it wasn't earning any money cost, you know, cost us the business ultimately. And I think my parents got divorced shortly after that. And I can't put all those things together, but they all were together in my mind, you know, as a kid, you're just like, catastrophe. And it just all fell apart. And then, um, you know, I I just remember that, like I went with my dad to the auctions to find equipment. We, We searched for stuff. We went, and learned all the, about all the different equipment, you know, and finally made a purchase based on what we had been educated in and then got a bad piece of equipment. So that's always been in the forefront of my mind when I make equipment. You know, we first of all, we try and make it easy to use. And second, we try and make it as durable as it possibly can be. You know, I have machines that I sold in 2012, uh, 2013 that are still out in the marketplace. And like sometimes they send them back and they tell me to refurbish them and we do. So, I mean, it's, you know, that and it's, you know, that's, it's reputation building, but it's also to me, it's back to, to the important people, which are the people who are buying my equipment uh, because their success ultimately means I'll be successful.
0: Well, let's go back again now, because, I mean, OK, you, you're working for, you know, communications and 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 messaging with the U.S. military. That's a far stretch from that <laughs> to cannabis. So talk to me a little bit about how this transition took place.
1: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I was work, living in California and uh, I was uh, I, have, I was uh, at that time had just started a, uh, a new relationship with a woman who had two kids and I had two kids. So we had a family of four. And in Southern California, you know, um, it's expensive, and so I was struggling with, you know, even though I was making a, a really good living with uh, what I was doing, I wasn't wasn't as it wasn't taking care of everything that we needed. So we at that time there was the 215 uh, proposition and and uh, the medical cannabis proposition, and my my dad actually was in uh, medical cannabis growing, so we started a collective and we started growing. I started growing medical cannabis. Um, I had all my patient lists and all this stuff that was, you know, required, and hold that's on how I
0: got one, into. Hold on one second, though. Now, how did your dad transition from printing to cannabis? I mean, I'm trying <laughs> to pull out: did the light bulb go off? And say, <laughs> yeah, hey, you know, they passed the law, so let's get into this.
1: Or yeah, um, that's that's a crazy story in and of itself. He uh, actually didn't intentionally transition. He was uh, he he had he had moved he moved a portion of the company. He was able to salvage. Uh, out to to uh, uh, California, basically right outside of wine country. And, um, yeah. And so he was doing that business and his neighbor was in the cannabis business. It was like, man, this is where it's at. This is what's happening. you got to get into this business. And so um, he got into the business and he was actually pretty good at, at growing and uh, he built up quite a, quite a, a business up and actually up in Lake County and had had uh, actually had, he was, disabled himself. So, um, he had worked with the sheriff and the sheriff had, had basically blessed his operation at the time and he had a good thing going up there. So he was trying to share it to, you know, help me out. And, and we, that's how I got started. I just really want to, be honest with you. I, I don't grow plants very well. Uh, so I, I mean, my thumbs will, are, are magically good at killing things. Uh, apparently. Uh, so, uh, but I, but mechanically, I've always been. You know, I, that's been my that's my forte.
0: So you sure. figured that out. You can't grow, but maybe I can do something when it comes to helping to automate yeah. some of yeah. what they're doing. Right? Is that what you? That's that's. Yeah. What well,
1: I'm you doing. know, when you're growing, you learn you you get exposed to all these horrible processes. Trimming is one of the most tedious and horrible things you can do. And we used to pay people a lot of money to come, and then we'd have trimming parties, right? And you just sequester everybody in a home uh uh for you know whatever it is 24 to 48 36 hours whatever it takes to get it done and cuz you don't want people going in and out i mean even though we're legitimate from from um you know california's perspective you just you still have a lot of risk and exposure in that at that time frame in that marketplace so it it's cramped and tight and you're doing all this horrible tedious work and um uh, and uh that was kind of like the thing like there has to be a better way cuz i don't like to do it and that was one of the things that spurred me on. And actually, a friend of mine was doing something else entirely. He was making dry sift hash uh, with a t-shirt screen, and he's like, "Can you make a machine that'll do this for me?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, if you make it, you you know you you can keep the machine. Just make me one." And that's what happened. I that's what started the company. I designed my first machine, which is called the Alchemist, which is a dry sifter. Um, and then I packed up my kit and. Went to Northern California, started knocking on doors, you know, trying to figure. Uh, I could figure I could sell these things, and uh, that's how it started.
0: Gotcha. And then you went from that to creating harvesting equipment. Is that right?
1: That's right. So in natural progression, right? You start looking at a marketplace. We, I didn't get a lot of movement on the dry sift side. That that's the time frame in which um, you know uh, oils and 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 extractions were really starting to come in. So dry sifting really took a back seat. And uh, so it wasn't like going to be a, a massively lucrative uh, opportunity for me to sell a single piece of equipment. But trimming has always been a long pole in the tent. And that was one of the things that I've been thinking about quite a bit, to how to figure out how to do it the right way uh, in an automated fashion. And I went up in, in Northern California, saw what people were buying and using at that time. And uh, I was actually on site with a, with a gentleman that they, they had taken a couple of my other machines on consignment. And uh, I, uh, so the, you know how that goes. It's not real money yet, uh, but anyway, yeah. So uh, anyway, I told him. I said I'll, I'll be back in three weeks with a better machine than that. And he just looked like looked at me like I was crazy. But I, I drove all the way back down to San Diego, um, and then sat down with some some young guys from uh, from UC, US, UCSD, Yeah, from the engineering department. And we put together uh, some designs on on uh, a trimming mechanism, a blade idea and then uh built it all together and took it back up and uh uh it just it was it was magic man the way that it the way that it worked um was so much different and you know because the concept of of these other machines was tumbling and just you know and that's and that's nothing wrong with that it's just abusive to a plant that as you know is very delicate requires a lot more uh, uh attention because you're trying to preserve all that crystal and all that delicateness and in the natural way that the flower looks. I mean, there's all this aspect of cannabis, as you know, that that is uh, it gets kind of washed out in the in the manufacturing process, especially when you're using these tumbling machines. But so what happened was, I took it up and I, I showed it to the guy that. Uh, uh, it took me a while to get his attention, but I showed it to him, the guy that sold all the other machines, and he's and he stopped and he's just staring at what's going on in the machine, and and he and he looked at me, and I remember this so clearly because he said, "You know, I sell." all these machines and i've never been impressed that's the first machine that impresses me and that's when i was like i got it you know i I actually we nailed this design and from there was you know back to san diego i had a small um i had a small order from them and that's what kicked it off i think my first year we did like sixty thousand dollars in sales and that was in 2012 and then 13 we did three Three hundred fifty thousand in sales i actually got a salesperson involved and we made a little bit bigger machine and then in 2014 we were at three and a half million so it just you know because it it was revolutionary i mean the the, the way that we trim and the way that the machines work um, it's just completely different thought around it and that's kind of how the company has gone we've we keep that focus um i have a team a, a brilliant team of, of young engineers who who, um, you know, they play SolidWorks, which is a 3D modeling program, like it's a video game, you know, and they they just and they they're creative, and I let them be creative and pursue their ideas, and and then we go through and we and we work through them and refine them, and and uh, what you end up getting is this real, you know, a real knowledge base of people who understand cannabis because that's what we think about first, and then we understand design around that, and then that, and then we produce really cool equipment out of that so it's just been like you know step after step after step and three years ago we started telling people and talking to people about you know automation isn't just fixing one problem you know you you've got to you've got three or four or five six steps that you have to get through so why aren't you transporting stuff from one operation to the next automatically and that's where you get automation right that's when you start seeing real value in in letting machines do work because no longer do you have people doing all that, that work, which you have as machines. So now you have operators who can you know, monitor and continue to keep track of value points in your processes. And at the end of the day, you get a much more consistent product. And so we started that conversation three years ago, and we're just starting to see it now. We, we were at the, uh, the MJ BizCon. We're just starting to see that real kind of interest in the, in the marketplace where people are like, yeah, I don't just need a trimmer. You know, I need a solution. And yeah, you do, you know, they they need it because agricultural processing is just not in this country. You just can't do it and stay competitive from a human labor scale. You know what I mean? I mean, even if you see it in, in, in uh, even if you go to the fields in California where you see a lot of labor, those are all augmented by equipment now. It's not just hand labor, you know, so it's just the way of the world right now. You have to have that automation involved, otherwise it's. Count, uh, not,
0: talk, not talk a little bit about the, the different types of products that you have in the marketplace give me an idea
1: uh sure so I mean we're post-harvest so basically after you uh, working on some other things but right now today <laughs> post-harvest we do um uh, we do uh, conveyors that are specifically designed for cannabis uh, we do trimmers that are that are very unique um, like I said they're they're, cla- they're in class by themselves um, they're the only machine that works the way that they do and we just came out with a new one that's higher throughput but uh, still gives you the same quality. Um, we do a sort, we have a sorter, which is a very gentle and delicate sorting operation. So you can do size grading. Um, I have a key separator, which is the first machine I, I did, which is a um, uh, just a, basically a dry sifter. Uh, we have that in two lar- uh, large model also, which is a continuous throughput. Um, we also have a grinder now, which we took five years to develop. And this grinder actually, instead of, pulverizing or mashing or uh, whipping and beating product, it actually um, breaks down the product into perfect, it's perfect particle sizing and it removes the stem. So customers who are using real quality bud for their pre-rolls, this machine will do the hard work which is getting rid of the wood out of it and give you perfect particle sizing. It's absolutely amazing, but that was a five year development project anyway. Uh, so that's what we have on market right now. And we have a couple of other things that are coming out that are exciting. But we can connect from where we are to anything else that you need to do. So, you know, if you want to package or bag or or you want to uh, grind or you want to go to extraction or whatever it is you need to do next, you know, because of where we stand, we stand in a vital place. We can go from the end of our system to whatever system we need to get to. So that's that's kind of where we're at.
0: And all your products are U.S. made?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So very, you know, as part of my conversation last night with the veterans, it's like, that's part of our ethos, right? Is is America. We love it. Um, Not to the exclusion of anyone else, but you know, there's a lot of pride in this company and in supporting this country and the, the people of this country and the communities of this country. I buy all my stainless steel comes from the United States. And, you know, that's, that's a little bit more expensive, but the quality is there and and it's supporting, you know, homegrown industry. We buy you, make all the sure of
0: equipment, you make sure all of your equipment is manufactured with medical grade U.S. steel.
1: That's correct. Yeah. So we step up. We don't do the 304, which is a standard, which is a, a you know, kind of your nominal, normal quality stainless steel. But your 316 stainless steel has a higher, uh, higher uh, ac- acidic resistance and is a, just an overall better piece of metal. Um, and we that's what we chose to use so i actually went and negotiated with my mill and said listen we'll we'll buy everything in 316 if you'll come down on the 316 price somewhere between 304 and 316 And, and we since we buy in such volume they were able to do it and we got a good deal and so everything that comes out of our shop is 316 stainless um our plastic comes from ohio so It's all manufactured in the United States. It's all virgin, high density, polyethylene. So it has no additives, no color, stay preservatives, none of that stuff, it's all NSF, uh, which is food safe. Um, We use some aluminum and it's all high quality aluminum. We manufacture all the parts in house. I have to buy certain things from overseas because they don't make them here. So we buy some of our electronics uh, from Taiwan and I do purchase motors from a company called Brother Motor. And they have a partnership with a Japanese company called Oriental Motor and we do both uh, business with both of those companies. So uh, aside from that, everything else is is all sourced from the United States and, you know, take great pride in that. And then add to that, like everything that we have is uh, is recyclable. We're about 96, 98 percent recyclable and we're about 96, 98 percent, you know, homegrown. So those things are very, very, uh, I think, are very important to the company. Definitely important to me.
0: Are you thinking of shifting your plastics over to hemp made plastics or to have Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only plastic that we have, and we're actually shifting more away from plastic altogether um, because uh, the burden of recycle is high. You know, it is recyclable, but you still have to have somebody that's going to do the recycle work, right? Um, So it'd be better to have something that was biodegradable or break down uh, much quicker and so i find that to be exceptionally exciting the you know the hemp plastics you, you have clear or uh, uh you know you have the same thing that you have with the lexan you can get in a hemp based plastic so when that becomes viable which it isn't yet but once it's a viable alternative yeah we're going to get all over it
0: well tell us a little bit about what you did uh, to react to the demands you know during a pandemic for p p e equipment so let me tell you you use some of your equipment and change it over. explain that to me
1: yeah, so you know when as as you know the the pandemic hit and no one no one really was prepared, obviously, but you know a part of i mean it was this opportunity for me to do what i what, what I did when I served, you know it was like, oh, I can focus, shift some of my My resource and maybe i can have an impact you know maybe maybe we can do something here that um that will add value you know because you're hearing all these stories about you know no ppe and all these all these horror stories from the front lines and um so we, we we just dumped a bunch of time and energy and money into this concept of uh of a tumbling machine that's basically based on our our on our alchemist uh but that would contain the ppe and then you flood it with uh with a uh, chlorine dioxide. And so we went down that road and, and kind of launched it out and it got stuck in, the, in the emergency, uh, approval process and it's still sitting there today. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, we put it in though. I mean, we did it and Montal. And I mean, it, sometimes, you know, in life, it's really interesting. Sometimes you, you do the right thing for the right reason and it doesn't matter, you know, and sometimes that's just how it is, you know, and I think we did the right thing for the right reason. And, um, it just, just because it didn't pay dividends or was never actually used, uh, wasn't, isn't really that big of a deal, you know, because I felt, and I still feel like that was the right thing to do because, you know, we had the ability, right? If you have the ability, then you do. If you don't, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not telling you to do something you don't have an ability to, but as a, as a, a member of the community and as a member of the business community and the cannabis community and, and the not Nevada community, all the, you know, in the United States, I feel if I have ability, then I should be doing that. And so that's what Thank we did.
0: Well, what have you found to be some of the most challenging aspects about being in this industry?
1: Uh, banking.
0: <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest, I, if, listen, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's really, uh, we're really fortunate, right? We're ancillary in so, so we're not, we're not as, um, um, you know, we're not as impacted by the by the crazy changes in regulatory issues that 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 are that are.
0: Yeah, uh, I would, I would, I would think, that I would think that if because you really don't touch the plant, you are not selling any plant material. That's correct. So ancillary equipment should not have a banking ramification. But are you fair
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've had uh, we've had major banks drop us. Uh, why? One,
0: what what is their reason? What is their they, reason? They won't why?
1: tell you. They don't. They're no longer obligated to tell you um thanks to uh thanks to the say what was it was at the banking act that under bush that got done <laughs> they don't have any obligation to tell you anything they can just make decisions based on what they want to they send you a letter and say yep based on you know the fact that you signed this agreement and said uh we can change our mind anytime we want to and so we did and that's the letter i get and then they go here here's a check and uh you know we're we're a multi-million dollar company that's a big check what am i going to do with a check i can't feed my people I can't pay my bills. I can't do anything. So that's happened to us twice. Um, we now have a good banking partner. Um, they're a smaller bank, and 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 you know, it's restrictive in some respects, but it's it's still a good partner. Uh, but I still can't get lending. Like I I can't get I, I can't even get a, a working capital. Right. So. But, I, just- but
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't. I I I'm really having a hard time understanding this. You know, when yeah. I say that. When I and I'm I'm not just saying it rhetorically you don't touch the plant correct so if yeah. you made a fork and sold a fork to a cannabis manufacturer or yeah. cannabis grower to use to eat their lunch with you can't bank that's correct
1: um and it seems and you know i i mean i've had these conversations with bankers and they're like yeah it shouldn't be a problem but it is and okay well what can you do about it well they can't big banks can't do anything you know montel There. They're stuck they're, they're anything, anything, because
0: yeah. you're touching you were touching the industry, not the
1: correct. product. That's correct.
0: But I thought yeah. that again, I, I was under the impression that the regulations were such that if you weren't touching, it's like the people who sell lights. They can't yeah. do banking either. Depends on the company.
1: Right. So if uh, if a company has a good uh, non cannabis presence, then they can get away with it. But um, if you have a can, we, and we market into cannabis, right? So we're not afraid. We've always been upfront about the equipment, what our equipment does. If, you know, I mean, literally if I scrubbed all my social media and changed my website and just said, Hey, we're uh, you know, we're a
0: manufacturer.
1: Yeah. You know, then we could probably go down that road. But um, the problem is, you know, I still have to market and I still have to reach into my community. I still have to be able to make my presence known and, as much as tight as the community is, you still have to do all this, you know, marketing is everything, right? You put your image and what your company looks like is everything. So we still have to continue that push. And so it's just a battle that we've had to, we've had to fight. And again, like, you know, a company like mine, who's, who has a lot of cash turn because we're we're buying, we buy, I mean, look, if you look at what we buy, we turn over, you know, half a million dollars every month. That's, all supporting other companies, right? That's supporting our landlords, is supporting my people, is supporting my purchasing, is supporting my steel, is supporting my, you know, it's all these other companies. They're not having trouble. I guarantee you, my 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 steel provider is not is not having banking issues.
0: <laughs> I do. Well, that that's one. I, I was gonna, I was just going to ask you. It's like why would okay, if you can buy the steel legally and he can put the money that you give him in the bank.
1: Mm-hmm. You're just yeah. taking
0: his steel and turning it into something else. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, I I I, I do get it. You you want to market yourself, but I mean, these it, days, um, you know, market yourself as a hemp extractor. I mean, I'm starting out. Yeah. Hemp, yeah. I mean, hemp it's, is legal.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. You say we, you know, and that and that and that's almost right. Uh, it's it is. It is still quasi legal, and it, it it has the protection of the of the Farming Act, right? Um. But it's still you're still gonna have trouble in the banking community with hemp. And um if you're strictly hemp, it's not gonna be nearly as as bad, but there's still there's still a barrier there. And and we looked at that kind of move like on, well, we'll just, you know, we'll just say everything's hemp. And and the real issue with that was it really didn't change my relationship with, you know, in discussing this previous, you know, with my banks and saying, look, will this help? Will this make a difference? And they're like, no, it's not gonna make a difference. So um so I'm not really sure. I mean, honestly, you know, we we can be logical. We're two adult men. We can have a logical conversation. Uh, but when it gets to the, the political level, it just seems like you can't have any logical conversations at all, and you can't work through these details. And it's not just obviously in this one sector, but it seems like you get outside of you know uh, of this of a normal conversation. You these people can't think straight, and they you know they they're always looking for what's out for me or what you know, and it just gets so convoluted. You can't just do something. Rational for people, right? We've accepted this. Like cannabis is accepted, uh I, I, and I understand that it's not everywhere yet. I get that, but if you look at the polling, you know we're at like sixty-five percent acceptance in, in, in the United States. It's higher than. Is, yeah, that's that's astounding, right? What what is the deal? Like it's got more acceptance probably than alcohol.
0: <laughs> and I would say the same people that stop you from banking are. Or- are, uh, are hands out when it comes to you paying your tax dollars. Oh my God.
1: They get that money right away. Yeah. I pay my stuff on time, on time, every time, you know, and, and all my bills are like that. Like, you know, we, we operate as everybody should, but we operate very, very clean. And all my books are really, really well done. And everything is a hundred percent. We don't take chances because there's the scrutiny, right? You don't want to get yourself into a mix up. I just don't know if we could have, you know, if a company that's, in this area can it could survive something like that so we just do what we you know we just kind of slog along and like i said the last actually the last banking issue was uh during COVID. Uh, talk about freaking out you know Uh, they only gave me 15 days (laughs) wow here's a here's a check 15 days you know you're like holy shit. i like you you know it's a business right we're moving we're moving capital all the time because that's what you do and you don't there's you know taking any kind of time to switch that up it's expensive to to switch and change up and then then you miss stuff you know and now i've got bills that are late and things are piling up because you're like oh that was in auto pay and that was being paid on this and blah, blah blah and it's just like it's just a nightmare and uh it's stupid they don't have to be that way they could do it if they want to as a matter of fact bank of america invited me to the table and then left me in the cold so
0: Wow. That's really, <laughs> that's you know, where, where are you incorporated out of? You're incorporated in Delaware, incorporated in Colorado?
1: We're in Nevada. I, I, no. I started the company as a Nevada corporation, even though the comp, even though I was in California when I, when I started the company. And then uh, now we are actually uh, based in Nevada. I have a business uh, building in, uh, in, uh, out by the racetrack out there in Las Vegas.
0: And what are some of the other challenges that you face Is banking? What else?
1: just normal challenges growth is a challenge um you know that's that's pretty standard employment right now finding good people um is is a challenge um i think you know uh i think that uh everybody in this country had a pause you know i think covid gave everybody a little bit of a pause and and um you know we're we struggle to find really good people um that want to stick you know um engineering support in las vegas is is not as strong as it would be in california right because the uh, engineers aren't you know they traditionally there's no mechanic there's not a lot of manufacturing in vegas a lot's coming by the way it's blowing up out there but um but the reality is like there's a lot of support uh people support that we don't have access to uh, although remote employees do make that better um but but still it's that's a challenge for sure and then just learning how to be a business and learning how to manufacture stuff. And I mean, all that stuff was hard. <laughs> That's just growing pains that I think, it, you know, obviously any uh, any company goes through. But um, yeah, those are the kind of things.
0: What are you, what are your international sales looking like?
1: Picking up, um, I think, you know, as far as North America has always been really strong. Canada has been strong for us. And of course, the United States, we're starting to see Mexico come in and then all of South America is, is moving. We've got some really interesting um, opportunities down in South America that we're trying to uh, get, get closed up. Um, you know, we're seeing, seeing the way that other company, other countries are doing their business and the way they're handling cannabis. And we go, why, why is the United States so far behind? You know, when, when Colombia is exporting cannabis and the United States can't get their heads out of their butts to get it across state lines, there's an issue, right? Um, Canada's doing cannabis export contractually with other companies, with other countries. Like, this, Why, why are we, why are we here? Well, this is the this is the hotbed of of cannabis. Like Northern California is the is the mecca, the epicenter, right? Why is it that we're squeezing that out and not giving the opportunities anyway? Not to go all down that road, but but I, I think no, what's happening. No, is- No,
0: I think you should go down that road. <laughs> let let our listeners understand because what's really ignorant. I, just so you know, I, for one hundred percent complete disclosure, I'm involved in a company out of Colombia right now. Oh, I'm involved great in a company out of South Africa. Um, wonderful. You know, and having these coming out and, and I have been doing some B2B work with these companies that have already turned into extremely, really good contracts for some of yeah. the vendors that I'm dealing with. And so as we talk, I'm sitting there listening oh, to, you know, uh, acutely and, and looking at opportunities that I may be able to introduce you to with some that's of the wonderful. I'm involved with, but, You know, uh, talk a little bit more about the fact that and some of the regulations. I mean, I I know for a fact that out of Colombia, they are right now capable of being able to export what they grow in South Africa. They are exporting what they grow and they're exporting to several major countries around the world.
1: Right. And and that's what's crazy. You know, um, you have as that's what's so interesting to me. And I I think it's, you know, I, I don't know what the root cause of it is. It's probably money.
0: It's ignorance, but they're not- and,
1: and, and ignorance, and and then and then you know people not really seeing that the value here, but you're killing an opportunity uh, that you know for the this country to be the global leader. I mean, absolutely no way that we can't be or we shouldn't be. We just have all the depth of knowledge and all the ability and all the innovation. It's all coming from the United States and being exported everywhere. We actually um, our machines were were purchased by by Lusutu, the king of Lusutu. To, to get us into Africa. And now we are now being well-established in South Africa, as you mentioned, that's a burgeoning market.
0: I'm involved with a complete disclosure. I'm involved with a company out of Lister 2 right now.
1: Is that right? I'm a board yeah. member of the company in Lesotho. Absolutely. You're pretty, probably, it's probably my guy right there. It's, probably. <laughs> but
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, yeah, I mean, that's, so that's the kind of the magic of it. Here we are having much more uh, open, you know, normal conversations with countries that aren't the United States. And in the United States, we're having these these fights, these little these little uh, you know uh, fights from little kingdom to kingdom, and not getting any business done. And and uh, you're watching a market destroy itself. Um, you know because you, free markets only work when they're free, and 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 unfortunately, cannabis market isn't free. Um, it's regulated, and then it's also fenced, right? You have every state has a border. You can't take it across the border, and so you you. You can only do that illegally or in the black market, which creates all kinds of chaos through, through the, the, the legal burgeoning legal market and also puts all kinds of pricing pressure and all kinds of problems all over. I mean, if you look at what's happening in Northern California right now, it's, it's a travesty. These guys are down to $300 a pound uh, on outdoor cannabis. The best outdoor cannabis in the world is being sold because they can't sell because the, the market has is, is been collapsed overproduction and no market right so um you know they don't have anywhere to go well if you could just ship it to new york for crying out loud don't worry about it you know (laughs) but you can't you can't do that and that's you know this is all part of that whole regulatory nightmare but that's just internal if we're that screwed up internal no wonder we can't get the external when i talk to big companies in canada and they're going yeah well we have a contract with so and so in this country we have contracts with this country and you're like how is it that we're having you guys are you know, having that kind of legitimacy and we're sitting over here trying to figure out if it's uh, going to be, you know, legal next month or if we're going to change the, the licensing regulation or what, you know, it's like, geez, man, just open it up, get your taxes. and Let's go.
0: Absolutely. I mean, well, the industry is still in its infancy, though. So, I mean, you know, there seems yeah. to be a lot of space for growth. Sure. Who would you suggest to you know somebody who's an innovator? You know, my degree's in engineering also, and I've got some I've got some ideas on a couple of pieces of equipment that you know I needed to have. I've been thinking about having built for years now,
1: but haven't yeah. been
0: able to do like stuff. How how does a person go about uh, you know turning their ideas into you know a viable product?
1: Well, that's the great challenge. I, I I went through this many many times in my life before I actually did it, and. um, you know the problem is that you know if you don't have if you don't have the, be- the means or the ability yourself you're kind of at the mercy of people who are um going to be difficult or maybe usury or maybe take advantage you know so you have to worry about that um you're also in a place where you know uh, there's no real protection for you uh until you have some money uh to to no. support right and that's that's one of the big difficulties but it the reality happening. right yeah, that's correct. It's just, it's just crazy. Like there's these companies that advertise on TV and they advertise to help you with your invention and they don't do anything except for take money and they don't do any, anything, like nothing for you in patenting. And then there's this mystery around patenting. It's not hard, guys. It's really simple. But um, you just need to find the right attorney, which is not easy to do. Um, but, you know, for somebody who, who really is interested, there's three ways that you can get into market. You can build it yourself and you can knock on doors. That's what I did. You can go to find somebody like me and say, hey, listen, I have a product and I'd like, you know, I'd like you to get it into the marketplace. And I go, OK, well, let's look at the product. And we say, OK, well, let's make an agreement on on this product. And if it's not patented, maybe we can get it to patent and maybe we can get something wrapped up around it and make a nice little you know, licensing agreement. That's another way of doing it. And then another way of doing it is just going out to somebody and saying, here you go. Uh, give me X for this idea, you know um and those are all valid ideas and ways to do it um and they all are they can be very successful but um you know it's it's always it's a difficult thing because again you know there's the idea and then there's the bringing the idea to life and then there's the bringing the idea to market and um those are all very distinct and very difficult things to do so um doing it yourself is 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 you know, you have to kind of be, I think, like we were at the right place at the right time. You know, it was taken off and we were happy to be able to get in and happen to be able to build a reputation. Now you your barrier to entry is a little more difficult unless if you have name recognition, you know, you can you can get uh, you can you can get in easier. But it's harder and harder for somebody who doesn't have a name recognition or branding to penetrate. Still can be done. Um, and then you know, there's like I said, like we do this, we do buy technology, and we do work with other people who who are wanting to bring stuff to market. We've done this in the past, um, but those relationships can be t- difficult too. So it's you know you have to figure out how to make that work and what's fair and clarity, and it's always wrapped up in all kinds of paperwork and stuff like that. But <clears throat> those are kind of the you know the ways to do it. If entrepreneurially, you know, don't let anybody stop you never let anybody stop you just understand that there's ways and just go down the road you know just keep banging on the doors and keep figuring it out but just because it's hard doesn't mean it can't be done
0: right well you know we we're almost out of time but i you know i'd love to hear i mean put your crystal ball on for a second what do you think uh you know uh the industry is going to look like in a year two years five years
1: um well and we've seen a lot of consolidation as i'm sure you're aware so um, that's that's an interesting situation and it's creating kind of um it's kind of you know absorbing and creating kind of bigger 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 entities so that's really interesting to see what that's going to do um i don't think that trend's going to go away but i don't think that you're going to eliminate you know your craft people either so i mean craft beer obviously has a massive resurgence and has become a staple like uh, i mean i don't know how many beer houses you go into now and they've got 40 50 60 beers on draft you're like that 10 years ago that didn't did not exist it just didn't you know you had to go to one liquor store in town that had a variety and that was you know and 20 years ago it was just Budweiser and Coors I mean you know what I mean it's just but so I don't think the craft is ever going to go anywhere but you know um the the consolidation in the larger market I think that's going to continue to happen. And you already see that as new states come on, you see the big players are in there with local people trying to figure out how to secure licensure and and, and grow into that space. Um, so uh, I, I kind of see that that's going to kind of trend is going to continue, but you're going to see the kind of the push toward the, 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 you know, the product consistency, the McDonald's, and uh, I don't mean McDonald's in a negative way, I mean, in a positive way, you know, the availability of a product in, in any, corner of the market that's identical to a product that's in the other corner you know and i think that's where we're headed you know with with big brands that are that are you know already big names big brands who already have uh you know that recognition all they're trying to do now is just make sure that they have the product consistency because if you go in you eat your mcdonald's at in New York, you want to taste like the one you had in San Diego. And that's the same thing with cannabis. It's going to be a lot like that. So I think that trend is going to continue too. And I I, I hope that I mean I hope that it uh it has a little bit more of this kind of crazy growth in it because I enjoy this a little bit, you know, no state comes on, things get a little wild and stuff like that. Um, but you know, once all the states are on board, I mean I think you're going to see it kind of flatten out uh, uh altogether like you know um and I think you'll probably see regulations kind of become more consistent from state to state. At some point they're going to do interstate commerce, and and uh, you know when, and you, when, do
0: you think, when do you think that's going to take place?
1: Oh, I wish I knew, man. I'd be <laughs> I'd be putting money on the table because I, I, you know what's funny is I you think I, you know I think there was even a moment when I thought that the the, the uh, President Trump might might get on board with it, uh, with the federal side of it, you know, because uh, he seemed like. He was a commerce kind of guy. Uh, but then, you know, when uh, when the when the present uh, regime came in, I think there was kind of a, a, a feeling like, oh, maybe this is our guy. But he was never going to be the guy. We, we knew that.
0: <laughs> anybody, anybody who has a brain, we should know that he was never going to be a guy. This is a guy who, still, six months before he got elected, said that cannabis was a gateway drug. Get the hell out yeah, of yeah, you know, here. Yeah. And his AG, his AG incarcerated more people for minor cannabis offenses as the AG in California than anybody before her. So how yeah. did we, how do we even get hoodwinked into believing the know, that man. they were telling about they were doing something in the first 100 days.
1: Yeah, we're we're just gullible. But anyway, so you know, I mean, administratively we can't rely on that kind of stuff, right? It takes the will of the people, right? And I mean, we're obviously that should never be the only reason that you would elect somebody, but um I think it's funny though because it's it's it to me it just illustrates um, you know, that that the party partisan bullshit is just that it's just a bunch of BS. And I, well, think-
0: really, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but now recently, you know, um, um, red man and a few people have gotten together and they were able to literally petition and apply for and got federal status for a brand new party. That's called the national cannabis party. Are you aware of that?
1: I was not aware. I actually, that's really kind of cool. I was not aware of that.
0: There is now a official, officially federally sanctioned party that oh, that's is, great. The presidential election that is called the National Cannabis Party (NCP). I got well, you should go up on the uh, I will website, take will. a look. I just got asked to be a, a board member, and I'm I'm uh, very happy to say that I am.
1: And that's um, wonderful.
0: We are trying right now. You know, we're going to going to going to try to push really hard over the course of the next year and a half. Even before the next half year before the midterms, to make you know, candidates out there running for office, recognize the fact that there are people here who want to. For no, we're not right. We're not left. We just want you to understand that, you know, the will of the people is that cannabis should be a part of our society. And we yeah. want to make sure that you have a stand that is favorable to cannabis nationwide. And sure. also when it comes to a presidential candidate, and we're going to be, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, making a, a pretty big footprint uh, during the next election to make people understand that we're here, and you know, cannabis is an issue that we want um, our elected officials to address.
1: Well, I think that that you know, at at a very least, Montel, it's going to bring the opportunity to get people. Aware of, of people's stance on it because I don't even know the last time I knew what a politician was actually standing on. I mean, I hear some good ones out there. I was good. I do believe there's some good ones, but from a general perspective in the national media, I couldn't tell you what somebody actually believes. I get to hear their stupid ass sound bites, and it just makes me nuts. Like I'm voting on this guy or this guy or that guy based on you know, thirty seconds of the re- of repetition that this guy is spewed out and then he gets right. in a debate and,
0: and you're like you're not debating right <laughs> you not know, this is one, yeah this is one of these things now having a nationally federally sanctioned party yeah, Think yeah. About this. this is different than before so yeah. now all of those national debates that you see on tv ncp will be present at that's great yeah. NCP can hold a convention, just like there's a Democratic National Convention, there's a Republican National Convention, there should be a National Cannabis Convention. And sure. those running for office need to step your ass in there on a stage and tell the people that are there, this is where we stand when it comes to cannabis and hemp, you know, for the future of the country. Yeah. Forward.
1: I think that's great. I mean, you know, obviously that will help uh, move things forward. Um, but, I mean, we know, we know we're not going to see federal legalization for four more years. Three At least, and At it least. may
0: be longer. Yeah,
1: and it may be longer. You know, um, and so um, you know, you. I. I don't know. I mean, I still hold out hope for for um, you know the decriminalization aspect of it because uh, it makes no sense to me that I live in a state that embraces uh, commerce and cannabis hundred percent, and we promote and we're proud of it, uh, and yet I still have to somehow the bigger brother government up there doesn't. I mean. How the how on earth, how on earth, you know? So I can live by one set of rules, which is you know normal state stuff. But I live by a set of rules here, and I can't, I can't take those rules with me, or or when I go next door to my friend across the across the line, I, I have to play by a different set of rules. Or you know, it's just, I don't know. It's frustrating to me that that the that the federal government is playing this game with this with this particular issue. A lot of issues, but this one's kind of obviously a thorn in my side. Because right. you know, they they talk about safe banking and all this other BS, and it's just uh, you know, I don't know. I just find it to be t- tedious.
0: Yeah, it's they just, talk a mean game, but they do nothing. And, do nothing. You know, they, 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 and they talk the mean game only when they're getting ready to get elected.
1: That's correct.
0: The <laughs> and they turn it back on you once they get there.
1: Yeah. 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 Anything else you want to add, my friend? Uh, no, just you know what? I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, and and uh, I appreciate your service and. Thank you very much for that. And, uh, you know, to all the other veterans out there, man, don't, if you have a dream, this is a great industry to be dreaming in. It's just a great place to be. So.
0: Absolutely. Well, look, I'm, I am so happy that we've had this conversation with you, Mr. Cullen Reichart, uh, uh, the founder of green bros Inc. And, you know, you make sure if you want to hear more from Cullen, make sure you listen to this entire you know, podcast and press that little button down there on the bottom that, you know, says you want to, Make sure you can even give us a review if you like, okay? So we love you to do that. Thank you, sir, for being here. You always have a home here whenever you want. Um, I may reach out to you if I can to see if uh, we can chat a little bit about business down the
1: road. Uh, that's awesome. Always happy to uh, speak with you, and I appreciate your opportunity to let me on.
0: Absolutely, sir. You take care. Stay well. Love that family of yours, and uh, we'll see you around next time. All right. Thank you. And we'll see you on the next Let's Be Blunt with Montau. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.